0: As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you.
1: Radio friends, let's spend a few moments today reviewing the truths that we have seen so far in our series on marriage, the family, and God's covenant. Really, there's one great truth that we have sought to see, and that is that marriage is given by God to be a picture of Christ and his church to be a mirror of God and His covenant with His people in the blood of Jesus Christ. We have sought that that great truth sink deep into the heart of our understanding. And we have said repeatedly that you can't say that too often. But in light of that, we have drawn out a few implications. Number one, marriage is about keeping covenant promises to each other. It's not, first of all, about staying in love. It's not, first of all, about keeping romance, but it's about keeping promises made to one another. Yes, it's exactly by the unwavering covenant commitment to keep our promises that the possibility of staying profoundly in love is there and the romance will be there. It's exactly in keeping covenant promises that we can be in love after 20, 30, 40 years of marriage. But first of all, the task of marriage, though it may sound strange to us in this me age, the task of marriage is not first our happiness, but it is first keeping covenant promises for Christ's sake, for God keeps his promise to the church. Jesus keeps his promise to his bride. Having said, I will love you, and I will be married to you, he keeps his promise. His love is faithful. We read in Hosea chapter 2 verses 19 and 20, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. God says, In this you will know me. I am faithful to every vow that I have ever spoken to my church, to my wife, to my people. Secondly, we have seen that marriage, because it is to be a display of Christ and the church, is therefore also a daily display of forgiving and forbearing. We are to forbear one another in love, even as Christ has forgiven ourselves we find that in ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 and colossians chapter 3 the verses 12 and 13 this forgiving of one another becomes the very foundation we have seen for working on change one in each other we do not make change by bringing ultimatums but we begin by exercising forgiving love for each other, this becomes the foundation for intimacy. This becomes the foundation for changing in our married life. Here's another good text to remember in your marriage: James five verse sixteen, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And number three, marriage calls a husband and a wife. To love with purpose. A self-denying love is a love that has a purpose, and therefore husbands are to love their wives with a goal in mind, namely that the wife grow up spiritually. We read in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Jesus had a goal in loving the church namely the church's spiritual growth and maturation its coming finally to stand before god as a glorious church so also as a husband we are to see that we receive a wife from the lord as a gift knowing that when the lord returns for her that his purposes for her have been sought by us that we as a husband has been have been an instrument of her Sanctification. What purpose, what goal do you have for the wife God given to you? It should be this, that she be holy and without blemish before God in love. Now today we want to continue our series and hear the word of God on the role of a husband and the role of a wife, specifically the role of a husband to be the head of the wife. We note from the word of God that there are fixed roles for husband and wife. The scriptures make that plain. The husband is the head of the wife, and the wife is to submit to her own husband. I read in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And then verse 24, therefore as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wife be subject to their own husband. And what about the husband? Well, verse 23 of Ephesians 5, For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. There are fixed roles, then, for a husband. He is to be the head, and a fixed role for the wife. She is to be subject to her own husband. This is so not because of culture. This is not so because of the male dominance in Paul's culture. This is not so because the one in marriage is normally the physically weaker one or the one that biologically is able to bear children. No, we do not find the origin of these roles in those considerations. But this is so because marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. That determines the role or the calling, that each has in marriage. The apostle says that the coming together of a man and a woman to form one flesh in marriage is a great mystery. Verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle quotes from Galatians 2 verse 24. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Then having spoken of God's institution of marriage, he continues to say, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. When the apostle says this is a great mystery, you must not think that the word mystery in the Bible is something that is obscure and hidden and hard to understand, but that word mystery means something that is profound, something that God has to show you. When God's purpose for something is known, then that is profound, a great mystery. Marriage is a great mystery because this is God's purpose for it. It is to be a picture of Christ and the church. As God made man in his image, so he made marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage to the church. So... Husbands and wives filled with the Holy Spirit will get down low to help lift the other up. They will both behave as the servants of him who girded himself with a towel and a basin and washed his disciples' feet. You will both find ways to submit your preferences for the good of the other. You will both be mutually humble, mutually ready to serve each other. You will both desire to meet one another's needs. You will both desire to build each other up. Amen to all of that. May that happen more, and may that happen more and more in your marriage. But that does not take away the distinct role, the distinct calling, the distinct place that God has given both to the man and to the woman in marriage. He has given a unique calling to both. Husband is the head of his wife. The wife is called to be in subjection to her husband, for this is the picture of Christ and the church. The husband, then, is to be the head of his wife. Once again, Ephesians 5, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. One thing that becomes crystal clear as we read that verse of Holy Scripture is that the calling of a husband in marriage is not arbitrarily assigned. Is it arbitrary? that Christ is the head of the church. Is it only for convenience? Could this role be perhaps reversed? The church becomes the head of Christ. Well, no. The headship of Christ over the church and the loving, honoring, submission of the church to Christ is the design of God for our salvation. So, the calling of a husband and a wife is not an arbitrary matter, but it's the revelation of the mystery of our Christ made head of the church and the church looking to Christ in submissive, submissive love. This was God's intention in the Garden of Eden. Adam was made the head of his wife. He was made the leader, and Eve was made a help meet for Adam. We read in Genesis chapter 2 that he, God, made the woman from the rib of Adam and brought her to Adam to be a help meet for him. God said, Adam, you lead her. You show her the marvels of my creation. You cherish, you nurture, you care, and you provide for her. Eve, I want you to use everything that I have made you to be, your creative instincts, your womanly instincts, to bless Adam. The headship of a man in marriage did not come into being because of sin. The submission that is the loving service of the woman was not given as a curse for the entrance of sin into the world. No, these were already in the original institution of marriage and therefore these were and are good. God created it this way to be the picture of Christ in the church. Sin did not create the headship of the husband or the submission of the wife. Sin ruined them. Sin distorted them. Sin made what was made good ugly. Sin made a man take this headship and pervert it to serve selfish evil ends. This headship that was intended of the Lord for the growth of the woman and for the blessing of the woman, now under sin, this headship is used to pervert that good intention. Do you, as a husband, try to destroy your wife? Do you criticize her every fault? Do you break her down? Do you think that you need to change her to what you want? That's sin. Does your wife cower before you? Does she feel pressure? Does she think that she's not allowed to have a mind of her own? All of this is sin. Sin made the woman to bristle when called to submit her will to God and to her husband. Sin made her say, no, I'm not going to try to please that guy. It's my way. Sin ruined the harmony that God gave then to marriage, not because sin brought headship and submission, but because sin corrupted both of them and made the man into a tyrant and made the woman into a rebel. But now our Lord Jesus Christ has come. He has come to redeem us, to restore, to bring marriage back to its purpose that God has intended, to provide loving headship through the man and willing submission by the wife. Christ did not come to dismantle marriage. He did not come to say, well, this doesn't work, this headship and this submission. There's an intrinsic flaw there. There's something wrong there intrinsically. He did not come saying that. But He came to recover marriage from the ravages of sin. And that's exactly what we have in Ephesians chapter 5. We have gospel teaching. We have the cross of Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 5. We have here the call of the gospel. We must remember that when the apostle Paul is calling a wife and speaking to a husband in this chapter, that he is calling them through the gospel, through the Savior. Wives, let your fallen submission be redeemed by modeling your submission after the loving submission of the church to Christ. Husbands, Let your fallen headship be redeemed by modeling it after Christ. Headship, then, is not an evil controlling, a forced compliance so that the wife is cowering and simply empty, but it is to be done as Christ. What does it mean, then, to be the head of your wife? Once again we read in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. It means two wonderful things. That Christ is the head of the church means that Christ has assumed complete responsibility for us. He became accountable for our salvation and for our eternal protection and well-being. The Apostle underscores that in the text. He says Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. He functions as the head by being the Savior. In the eternal will and counsel of God, we read of that in Ephesians 1, Christ was appointed to be the legal covenant head of the elect of the church, to be responsible for all of them, There we stood of ourselves, guilty before God, exposed and liable to the wrath of God against our sins. All around us were the piles of our smelly sins, and behind us were the flames of hell. We did it. We were the guilty. We were the damned worthy. Christ, the head of the church, became responsible. He became accountable for us. He came forward in the will of God. And he said, Father, lay not their sins to their charge. He became responsible to redeem the church, to keep the church, to preserve the church, to guide the church, to bring us unto the Father. And secondly, as our head, Christ also rules over the church, leads and governs the church. So first of all, Christ assumed responsibility as the head. Secondly, Christ rules over or leads the church as its head. Paul exalts this aspect of the headship of Jesus Christ over the church in chapter 1 of Ephesians, the verses 18 through 23, where he prays that our eyes might be opened, that we might see the exceeding greatness of God's power or authority that he has placed in Christ, that he has raised Christ, that he has set Christ at his own right hand, far above all things, that he has put all things under the feet of, the, of Christ, in order that Christ might be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Christ as the head of the church rules the church and so governs all things for the good of his church. As the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is fearless. And as the lamb of God, he is tender to carry the church through all dangers, through all evils, and through all snares. Now, husbands, be the head of your wife as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. That means, you as a husband, as the head of your wife, are responsible for her, and for your family. And you are to take the leadership, the guidance, the rule, aimed at her good, her growth, and the enjoyment of her salvation. Headship, by faith, is to assume responsibility before God, for your wife and for your children, given to you, for her soul and for the soul of your children. That's very humbling, and that's overwhelming. We can only do that when we daily look to Jesus Christ, the real man of God, the one who truly came to fulfill the will of the Heavenly Father. This means that the needs and the problems, the sins, the discipline of children, These are your responsibility. The patience, the ability to communicate, to be in touch with your wife, to be involved with your wife, to pray meaningfully for your wife. You become the responsible one of your marriage. You become responsible for the marriage. When God comes to inquire of your marriage, He begins with the head. Who's the head here? He comes to speak to you. Don't point your finger and look at her. You're the head. Our flesh always wants to abdicate this responsibility. We say, this is too hard. I'm going to go fishing. Something else is easier. No. You look to God and understand that as the head of your wife, you are responsible for the spiritual direction of your family and that head is also leadership it is guiding it is ruling your family by the word of god so that decisions are made and the direction of the home is heavenward that you are seeing to it that you and your family are not drifting or sliding along but that you are constantly going to the holy scriptures in order that you might lead and show and instruct and teach You are to take the initiative. You are not to sit back and wait for these things to happen. As the head of your wife, you are to take the initiative through the word of God. Talk to her about these things. Consult with your wife. You are to be lion-hearted and you are to be shepherd-like. You are to be a strong and tender, steadfast and compassionate, bold and broken-hearted man of God. Now I think we need then a word of encouragement and we need a word of caution, a word of encouragement to husbands. This would sound overwhelming. We certainly see our weaknesses. We certainly see that our wife is not perfect, just like the church on earth is not perfect. And then if we are not looking by faith to our Savior and His promises, we're going to respond to this word I can't. This is asking too much. I'll just check out and hide from responsibility, or I'll be frustrated because she doesn't follow my headship, my leadership. Husbands, be encouraged. Christ does not call us to do something which by His grace He does not empower us to do. We read in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The roles and the calling in the kingdom of Christ are indeed humbling things. In fact, if it does not humble you, then you ought to question yourself. But those roles, those calling that God gives to us in the kingdom of God, he does not leave it up to us, but he directs us to Christ for our strength. And therefore, if you and I don't know what to do, then we must look up. We have a heavenly Father who has promised to be with us and to teach us and to bless us as we take up our responsibility for our marriage and family. So there's the encouragement to husbands, but there's also here a caution to wives. You say, but my husband is not that way. Yes, I want that. I want a man who's going to take responsibility. I want a man who's going to show good, sound, loving leadership of the family. But he doesn't do that. And then you perhaps begin to list all of his faults. And you perhaps become demanding. Well, demanding will be counterproductive. You must pray for him. You must pray that God strengthen him. You must pray that God awaken him his biblical calling. The apostle concludes in Ephesians chapter 5 with these words, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Speak to your husband with a sense of hope grounded in the word of God and direct your husband to a God, his God, your God, the Heavenly Father, who will certainly bless and be near to every son to whom he has given this responsibility. We return next week to this passage seeing that indeed as the head of the wife, the husband is to provide and to protect his wife and family. Tell that time, may God bless this word to our hearts and let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy word. It is indeed thy word. It is a word that we cannot keep of ourselves. We look to thee for the spirit of wisdom and fortitude in order that we might be men of God, responsible as heads and also leaders of our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, the Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed Faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.